Hello, everybody. Welcome back to Death Apology every Friday at 5.30 on Radio DePaul. My name is Misha, and I have a mini skeleton right next to me. Hi, everyone. My name is Jeffrey, and I've been drinking these protein-like nutrition shakes. Last week, we didn't start with one, but this week we will. We have a question of the week, and it's, what's the longest time you've been out of work or school? I guess I can go first. When I was in elementary school, I was out for two weeks, maybe more, because I caught pneumonia. So I was, and that's pretty bad. So they had one of those long inhalers, not like the short ones, the ones that it has a little thing over the top of it fits over your mouth i had to have that puffed into me twice a day for two weeks i yeah i got that in the winter time so i was out of it i was so behind in school when i got back i was a mess yeah i thought you meant taking a break from work or school and i was like i don't know i meant i meant it could be medical it could be a personal leave it could be anything really yeah i don't think i've ever been out of school for more than a day or two Hmm. i can't remember any long stretch of illness but also my memory is just tanks it does not exist or besides like work or school what's the longest you've done a vacation like a week maybe during summertime i used to do it this doesn't really count because you know we had summer vacation but i would be on my vacation in chicago when i was living in maryland for about two and a half weeks two weeks good times interesting but getting into the meat of the show for this week we're going to be discussing disenfranchised grief uh if you don't know what that is don't worry i didn't either a couple months ago but it's essentially kind of a distanced grief maybe you didn't know the person super well there's still a person that you interacted with who is now dead and there's still a feeling of a grief but b separation it's a concept that was sort of introduced by Dr. Kenneth Doka in 1989, but discussions about it haven't really popped up in the mainstream since the pandemic. Yeah, I also think it's interesting because from what I read from um, Dr. Doka, it's also not just like a death, but it can also be anything that isn't socially viewed as normal mourning. So like when we think of, I think when most people think of grief, they just think of death right away. But it can also just refer to loss, like loss of routine. So something that society would kind of judge you for feeling a loss of would also fit into disenfranchised grief, which I think is very interesting. Yeah. And I think that makes it an even more relevant discussion with COVID is that, well, a lot of people have in fact died. So many other people don't know anyone who's died of COVID or, you know, things like that, but are still taking precautions and are, you know, a lot of students lost their normal school life for a year and a half. A lot of office workers lost their routines. And like, what do you do when you lose something that you feel is so much a part of your life? You know, even if it is something as small as like commuting. Yeah, I think it's interesting during COVID that everyone has experienced some type of disenfranchised grief, whether, as you said, it was the loss of routine, could have been the loss of a loved one. All these things kind of happen to everyone at the same time and people's reactions towards it because disenfranchised grief is not something people, like when people tell you how to mourn a death, people don't really tell you how to mourn a loss of routine or a loss of someone you didn't know that well. So everyone's kind of, I think, in this odd gray area of how to feel, how to move around or 
are trying like to try and uh, get over or trying to work through the loss everyone's kind of experiencing. And I wanted to mention another Depalia article because the the first week they were distributed, which as a recording is like two weeks ago at this point, but it's by Kirsten Reedford and it's about a medical student here at DePaul and how her life's been like working at a hospital. And one of the final paragraphs is during a time like this, like COVID, we experience the loss of our loved ones. There's a vastness of loss. The amount of people that have died is just so incredibly horrible. And for those who have that not gotten COVID-19 or survived or survived losing someone, we have also faced loss. And it goes into like the different losses, but I don't know. Like it's interesting, A, because it doesn't really make the distinction of loss as in death and loss as in material life type objects, if that makes sense. Like it only says died once in that paragraph, but it says loss like six times or so, which is more semantic than anything else, but the article in full really captures how bleak the pandemic has been for everybody in a way that's not been super acknowledged, at least not in more corporate type circles. I do think it's interesting when we're discussing how COVID has affected everyone because usually when we discuss grief on an everyday basis I, I hate to put it this way but there seems to be like a capital capitalization on grief depending on how someone died or who died like we're going to learn later on as we're discussing the disenfranchised grief that a society gives support on a differing level based upon how society perceives how one should feel about the loss of something. So I do think it's interesting how grief is kind of not put on a currency, but some people are given more support than others, depending on who died, how they died. If they died, like, for example, like a soldier dies, it seems as uh, like a, a heroic death or usually. But if someone who is like, let's say someone's on, um, there's like a false equivalency, but like on death row, a lot of people would feel like that's a justified death because some people believe in capital punishment, not saying we are. So it's kind of interesting how just death throughout time or in America, at least, it just has so many different ways people perceive it. Yeah. And it's not too different from like our bereavement leave episode where we mentioned that different corporations would allow like a different amount of days off depending on who in your family died, which is a really sick thing to do. But it's sort of that where your losses might be different, but that doesn't mean you should compare your losses. Of course. Yeah, I agree. Um, in an article, Cardoza and Schneider in 2021, they, they described that they said grief is an expression of loss, not an expression of death. And on the difference between gr- grief and depression and anxiety, David Defoe, who is a therapist, says, we say depression and anxiety are conditions of the mind, while grief is, in, is a condition of the heart. The grief that is associated with loss has to be dealt with on the emotional and the heart level. You can't think your way into better grief. And I thought that was like a very interesting perspective from a therapist I've never heard that I've never really thought of comparing depression and grief before but I can see where people come from trying to because there there are similar symptoms from what Defoe was going over but he was saying that he feels grief is more in the heart and depression is more a mind thing what are, what are your thoughts on that Misha yeah I don't know because hi if you don't know I am depressed I actually see a therapist I don't know, because I think I tend to fall into the category of more of like not feeling grief all the time, but maybe feeling a certain amount of anxiety because my depression kind of starts to 
go into that direction of, oh, everyone you love is going to die. And it's okay. And, you know, whereas grief is more when it actually happens or starts to happen, if that makes sense. Yeah, that makes sense. I don't know. Yeah, I think for me, it was just interesting that he said that depression never for me, at least, as someone who isn't clinically depressed, every like I know anyone can have not seasonal depression or clinical, but people can have depressive episodes. And I feel right. like when I, I've had those episodes, they were more related to my heart than my mind because something happened. Like I feel like when I lost, not just like losing someone, but like when you have a breakup, for example, a loss. Do you know what I mean? Like that's not, not definitely yeah. a loss yeah. of like. Action. So, and I feel like you feel that in your heart just as much as your mind because you're in your mind and your heart, you're thinking of all the ways you could have done something different. And there's like that. I just, I think it's, I just think it was interesting that he compared to different parts of the body. It kind of threw me off of it. Yeah. And I guess like one other thing I would want to add is that I, I was very briefly on two different antidepressants and like while they would emotionally make me feel better, that is like a brain change, you know, but those medications weren't changing my heart, if that makes sense. It does. I don't know, but we are. Okay, we're at the halfway mark. So you're gonna get two songs of the week this week. First is, first song is Song 2 by Blair. Then the second song will be Jet Black Heart by Five Safe and Summer. And then you'll get a quick ad and then we'll be back and we'll get to hear us some more. So see you soon. And we're back. If you were listening on Spotify, you just got an awkward cut there. But we're back. And now we're going to be talking about um, an article by, is it Sway? Yeah, I don't know. Uh, An article. Yeah, and we're going to say an article by Sui. Sui. We're very sorry if you butchered your name. T-S-U-I. Yeah, T-S-U-I at all. So there's other offers. Um, Discussed how home care workers have to balance professionalism and grief. Care workers are always at risk of having more complicated grieving, especially with patients and a lack of acknowledgement for that type of grief. Yeah. So it kind of ties into that news article I mentioned earlier where healthcare workers are kind of expected to like, you know, be at a certain comfort level with death, which like they can be, but that doesn't always make being around death so often any easier if that makes sense. And there's kind of the expectation of nurses and doctors to be able to move on super quickly to the next patient, you know? I think it's really interesting how there's a lot of support for soldiers coming home, but I think with doctors and nurses, there's like this, there's supposed to be this curtness like between them and their patients, so they're not supposed to humanize them. And especially if you watch, it's like a false equivalency, but if you watch medical dramas, you see them like, don't get close to the patients. Because you, you can't, you don't want to be sad when they go like, I don't know. I feel like there's this like, oh, really? there's this dip. I feel like people try to put, especially if it's not your, your physician that you see all the time. Like it's mm-hmm. you place like this distance between the patient and the healthcare worker. And you should make promises because you know, you can't keep them and all this type of stuff, which I've always found interesting and how people kind of, like you said, they're supposed to just be able to get over a patient dying or someone who works in dangerous situations where death happens. Maybe if you're just working in a place where people die kind of, or if you're a mortician, you have to deal with a dead body. You're just supposed Mm -hmm. to be like, that's just supposed to be a norm to you. And I can understand where people are coming from, where you have to be somewhat comfortable. I feel like there should also be a somewhat of an understanding that there's always going to be a circumstance it's going to hit close to home or there's always going to be something that you're going to feel about because we're all human we all have emotion right actually uh i'm i'm taking a class on death and dying did i mention that yesterday uh you did i'll never stop mentioning it but uh we had a 
medical examiner, like a person who performs autopsies, come and guest lecture for a class. And he mentioned that a lot of、uh, coroners' often offices are starting to get small, like on-site therapist-type offices too. His specifically didn't have one, but there was like an aspect of mental health being taken into consideration with that type of profession. Where, yeah, you can like as you're doing、uh, an autopsy, you can objectify. A body, all you want, and try to distance it from being, you know, someone who was alive and loved. All you want, the cold, hard truth always comes back, anyways. You know, and it'll always like hurt pretty badly, no matter what. I see where they're coming from. A weird thing, but I remember I was always very uncomfortable with dissections. Like I've never like, especially like when I was. Younger in high school, I can I can never do a dissection because I'm someone who like really cares about I care about animals a lot I care about people a lot so I could never see myself wanting to dissect anything and people were kind of making fun of me like oh this is just something you have to get over、oh, and understand and I always I couldn't separate that like it's hard for me to separate that thing that looks like it could have just been alive from just something I'm supposed to stab into you know what I mean interesting did you have to dissect a frog in seventh grade. No, I had to dissect a squid. A squid? Yeah, that's so much more interesting. Oh well, but, but I didn't do it. I had a partner, and they did it, and they accidentally hit the ink sack. So then our tray just turned black. It was, and I was just so horrified because he's like, he wasn't doing it right. Oh God! <laughs> and he like kind of butchered the poor squid. Oh God. Okay, we probably shouldn't stick on this topic. <laughs> <laughs> I did kind of want to. Have that note of like, even if you're in a profession that has a lot of death, or I know personally, I have a lot of distant family that I've never really met. They've died, you know. Like, there's kind of that distanced grief that your grief is still. It still makes sense to have that grief, you know, and you shouldn't feel bad about feeling that kind of heavy, weighty grief, you know. No, I get what you mean. I also think people don't always get that. For example. When I was in sixth grade, my grandpa in Korea, who I never met, died, and I had this really weird, odd feeling because I didn't know him. But it was also like the loss of something I would never get to have. Yeah, if that makes sense. There's this like thing I would never get to experience, which was getting to know him. So I had to deal with that, which was a really strange. Like it was a really weird feeling. I felt I felt guilty that I shouldn't. I felt like I was attention seeking by feeling bad about it because. I, My mom knew him, so he's the only one who really knew him. So I felt, I felt like weird grieving over that. It was kind of、mm. a weird thing. Yeah, I wonder if because the article talks about healthcare workers, and I don't know if there's other articles out there, but I don't know if that falls under the category of disenfranchised. But I think it does. What could have been feeling? I think disenfranchised grief takes any. Death at society would tell you, it, like, it tries to tell you how you should feel about. And I feel like society doesn't take people seriously. Sadly, if, if you lose someone who's not considered a super close relative, so like, if it's your,、yeah. I feel like society cares if it's your parent, your spouse, your child, or your sibling. Anything beyond those things is it starts. You get like less support as it goes down. And I can't really rank those four, or you rank differently too. I feel like a child is like number one, or for most, or a spouse, and it'd be like your parent, and then a sibling, and it, it's kind of, it's just this weird thinking of how people rank death. Do you know what I mean? But I feel like yeah, like the grief leaderboards. Yeah. So the next article by McNutt and Yakushko. 
from 2014, discusses disenfranchised grief is also interconnected with social prejudice. So, for example, they were kind of t- talking about an homosexual relationship if you guys didn't know that there used to be laws that if a par- one partner died you wouldn't get the same like legal support let's say if you were that's why same-sex marriage is such a big deal because it gave you the same legal status because before when you were a partner of someone you didn't get the same benefits as a spouse but also society if your partner died their more support would be given to their family than you because people didn't see partners as part of the family union because the family unit for a long time has always been between a man and a woman. And this that's just the viewpoint of how society's kind of created the family structure. For a long time, it would other gay people, queer people. So it's it's kind of weird how death is also, I'm not saying death is oppressive, but people can take death and use it in conjunction with oppressive ways of life to like judge people, if that makes any sense. Yeah, like if they can find a way to weaponize your gayness, they will basically, even in death. Yeah, and if you like look at a tombstone, I'm going a little like reach here. This might be a little bit of a reach, but if you notice in a tombstone, all the positives about the person, a beloved, with gay tombstones, it would never say the beloved partner. Tombstones yeah. back then were like how I feel like tombstones too, which at least back then, it might be different now. But have always been how society wants tombstones, unless they're those huge like statues, they kind of all have the same thing, like beloved spouse, caring child, sibling too, like whatever it was. And I feel like if you didn't fit into that mold, then people just didn't care about you. your grief didn't matter as much. Yeah, I think maybe not tombstones, obituaries kind of have yeah. that information. Oh, they were like this successful in their career and they had this great of a family and they didn't have a partner. Totally not. Or they lived for 20 years with their best friend, you know, just garbage like that. That is interesting. Yeah. And I feel like there's a lot of takeaways from the discussion we've had so far. And there's a lot of lessons, especially that you can, everyone can learn from disenfranchised grief and pretty interesting topic. And one of the ones I think we were talking about is not comparing your grief to another person's. And that's kind of, and I think I've also done this before when I've, when me and a family person or me and a friend lost someone and I felt I was closer to the person, I'm going to admit to this to them. And I just saw them like bawling their eyes out when they hardly knew the person. I did feel a sort of way, mm. but I also hard because it's not something you don't know exactly how they're feeling. So it's kind of, you shouldn't judge them. Right. You used to play like, the grief Olympics. Not Olympics, but I knew people who talked so much crap about someone do you know what I mean mm. and then they died yeah and then they were the saddest person in the room more sad than like the family members and I was just confused as I got older like that's when I was like a kid though I've kind of realized that people people don't I feel like people don't treat people the same when they're alive and when they're dead that's something people have to get used to because I don't think it's always grief olympics I think people are just confused. People do change their behavior to when someone's died. Like there's a, there is a newfound respect for the dead because, you know, it's a loss. Because I think I, I think everyone takes advantage of someone while they're still alive and they don't realize yeah. they're doing it. Yeah. It is always hard to like face the death after it happens because I don't know. I feel like there's that moment of active dying. The most difficult, but after the death, the fallout is always really 
interesting. I also think it's interesting because you don't realize how many people someone has touched till they've died. Because then you see those people come out for like the funeral or they write stuff on social media. Yeah. Actually, I'm reading a book now for a class that's really interesting. It's called The Outsider by Nathaniel Luckenmeyer. I don't know if that's how you say it, but essentially it's about like his dad dying and him putting together all the pieces of his parents got divorced and he didn't really super great contact with his dad, you know? So after he dies, he starts putting together all the pieces and like talking to his old professors and, you know, trying to track how he died, kind of, you know? And I think that that's a really interesting way because one one of our notes here is like about making your own ritual after someone dies. And in a weird way, I feel like that was his ritual of putting together the pieces of the puzzle after the fact. Yeah, I think for me, I remember one of the things I did after I lost my um, grandpa was I listened to a lot more like music I that was around his time. I kind of got into more stuff at stuff from his time period because I wanted to experience the world more for like how he might have. So I, I went like the year he was born and I started looking at the movies that came out then. I just thought it was so like interesting. Mm, yeah, I would write letters, but I don't really do that anymore. <laughs> this might end up being a shorter episode, honestly, because that is kind of the end of our notes here but I would really appreciate if y'all would also want to weigh in on this whether it be your own story with disenfranchised grief or your own thoughts on it as a concept uh, I'd really appreciate that if you want to reach out our Instagram is at deathropology that is d-e-a-t-h-r-o-p-o-l-o-g-y and our email is that same spelling deathropology at gmail.com thank you so much for listening my name is misha my name is jeffrey check us out next time on fridays at radio nepal at 5 30 every friday also check us out on spotify